This is Sam Torres, Texas Longhorn fan, native Austinite, admissions counselor, and your host with the most. And this is Texas 512. Today, I have another very special guest with me today. I'm actually, I have, I have goosebumps. I'm, I'm kind of starstruck a little bit. What? Big fan. Big fan. I'm kind of nervous. So, uh, Dr. Reddick, instead of me trying to explain who you are, how about you tell our listeners who, who you are? What do you do? What, what's your role here? Wow, Sam. That's, that is so funny. Like, please relax. Uh, this is, <laughs> uh, you know, this is great. I'm, I'm so excited to be here and um, obviously uh, talking to you and to the 512 crew as well. Um, so, I'm Rich Reddick. I am the Associate Dean for Equity, Community Engagement, and Outreach the College of Education. I'm also a professor of higher education leadership. Uh, I have appointments in the Plan 2 Honors Program as assistant director. I also have a courtesy appointment in uh, the Warfield Center for African and African American Studies and in the African and African Diaspora Studies uh, area department. And, um, you know, I'm the dad of uh, two hopefully future Longhorns, husband of uh, Texas X, and most importantly, uh, Texas X myself, uh, class of 95. Awesome. See, see listeners, this is why I'm nervous. Uh, do you, did you hear that resume? Long, impressive, expansive resume. Bro, I'm just old. <laughs> <laughs> and you know what? I think hopefully this is going to get me an end to that new EDD program in the future in higher education. So, uh, you know, hopefully so this do goes my best well. to hook you up. <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> well, listen, Dr. Reddick, um, I'm really, really excited to have you here. Um, this and we really appreciate you taking the time out of your busy busy day um, to meet with us and have a conversation um, and so first I, I always like to get started by by diving a little bit deeper and getting to know why you do what you do today um, I asked this question in the last episode I probably uh, I try not to do this um, and ask the same questions but I'm really curious just to know what your journey was like and what led you um, to be where you are today and do what you do right now well, I love that question. It's a good question to ask. I love it because it, 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 it's something I've been thinking about a lot lately. As I said, I have two I have two children. I have a middle schooler, just turned 13. And now we're starting to talk about things like college. And I'm like, well, wait a minute. <laughs> that happened way too fast, you know. Um, so I'm a first generation collegian. So my parents, uh, I came from a family that cherished, revered education. But my parents didn't have the opportunity to go to college. And so, um, you know, and also I should make the point that my mother is from Jamaica. So I'm also from an immigrant family. My dad was in the Air Force 26 years. So if you know anything about both military families and immigrant mothers, I had like sort of this crux of like, you better get this thing done right. <laughs> Do not play around in school. You are there to, to focus and get A's. Don't be bringing any A minuses and B's in the space. <laughs> but also moving around, you know, all around the world. So I went to school. 12 different schools before I graduated from high school. Oh, dang. And I spent uh, most of my formative years in the UK uh, living in England. And in, in you know, British military, mil military personnel in the UK, uh, in the United States, um, go to Department of Defense Education Activity Schools, uh, DODEA. Mm -hmm. um, and I didn't know this at the time, but DODEA schools are the schools that have the highest achievement for African-American Latino students in the nation. As, as a state or as a, as a district. Um, so I went to schools that were incredibly, incredibly equitable, um, 
very high standard of educational uh, experiences I had. And then in ninth grade, uh, my dad got his final orders to come over here to Austin, Texas, to Bertram Air Force Base, which is now the airport. And I moved to Austin, Texas. Now, if you know anything about Austin, Texas, if you look at the Martin Institute for Prosperity at the University of Toronto, they will tell you that Austin is the city with the greatest socioeconomic divide in the country. So think about going the experience down of being in a schooling system that was fairly equitable, where the racial socioeconomic gaps were fairly narrow to a place where they were massive. Right. And so that dissonance for me always struck me. So a good example of this is I moved here in October of 1986. Yeah, in the dark ages, right? The 20th century. And I missed about nine weeks of school. But I came back to class and I was just like, yeah, what are y'all doing? I did right. this last year. I literally was able to walk in and sort of say, well, I already did this stuff. So either I was really far ahead or y'all are really far behind you know, some combination of the two. Um, and so um, the funny thing about that is that my sister is two years older than me. And so she left school, left our schooling system in England when she was a junior. Can you imagine the trauma of leaving your class of literally 40 classmates to a school that is a 5A school with 2,000 kids and having to make new friends or like that? So she had a hard time navigating it. But for me, it was an opportune time to make the switch, I guess. And like I said, my entire experience in high school, I was constantly sort of um, shocked by the inequities I observed. So I went to school in East Austin. So if people from Austin, I went to get ready for, I went to Del Valley High School. I went to Travis High School. I went to Reagan High School and graduated from the former Johnston High School. These are all schools in East Austin, except for Travis. And, um, you know, I was talking to people at other schools in Austin and realizing I had very different experiences and the facilities were different. Uh, the labs we had were different. And in my senior year, I guess it was a senior year, I guess we did this. Uh, we actually had an exchange program with students in the Eanes Independent School District, which is Westlake. Now, if you know Westlake, Westlake is one of the most affluent districts in the state. Absolutely. And I'm in the Barrio School in East Austin going to visit Westlake High School and said, I'm mad. I'm furious. And I'm, I'm, I'm okay. I'm like, this is this school is dope. It's got cool things. The football field is dope. The labs are dope. The library is huge. I'm like, well, how come I have a very different experience 10 miles away from here? And I want to be clear that I had amazing teachers. My teachers were incredible. Uh, they gave me so much exposure and confidence. I marched with Cesar Chavez in high school. That's the kind of teachers I had at Johnson High School. But I still was struck by the fact, like, it's not fair that kids who live in West Austin uh, get these facilities and we don't have those. Mm -hmm. So I, I came to college, I think, toiling and, and uh, considering this issue of educational equity. Like, how is it that we say education is like the touchstone of all things you do, right? That's everything starts with education. But then we have kids going to very different educational experiences. Mm -hmm. And then we expect those kids to you know, bootstraps, you know, raise up and do great things. So all throughout my high, my college career, I was focused on this issue of, of equity. So I did volunteer work in the community. I was a tutor. Um, the same time at UT, I was doing all kinds of cool things activities-wise, but I was always doing something in the community uh, back in Austin, which I was from. Um, so probably unsurprisingly, I did Teach for America for two years in Houston in the Fifth Ward community. Uh, still is the hardest job I've ever had in my life. Uh, it's harder than being a professor, harder than getting a doctorate at Harvard, 
harder than getting tenure at UT. <laughs> I'm just teaching uh, just because um, amazing kids, but the responsibilities and the roles that teachers had, even 30 years ago when yeah. I was teaching, are, are massive. And, and, you know, you're there to instruct kids in reading and reading and, and math and, and social studies. But you're also there to be a support to the students and support the families. It's so much going on. So all I have to say is that um, by the time I left UT, I definitely had the education bug. Uh, but I also realized that higher education, I was mentored by Mrs. Brenda Burt, who worked in the Office of Business Students. She ran the Welcome Program for African-American, Mexican-American students. I met her literally the first day I was on campus and never left her side. I think I might have taken one semester off from working in the Dean of Students office, but I worked with her during the year with Welcome. I worked as an orientation advisor in the summer. And so I was with her all the time through. And she, you know, said to me, like, you know, you need to come back and do what I'm doing. So I was like, I gotta go to school again. <laughs> I kind of figured after, you know, the UT experience, which, you know, had its highs and its lows, that I was pretty much done with graduate with um with with schooling, you know. Yeah. And certainly as a first gen student. I kind of said to myself, okay, you've gotten the higher education, you've got to college, now you can turn the jets off and just kind of chill. Um, I didn't realize I was going to be in school for another seven or eight years. <laughs> so, <laughs> you know, I got my master's at Harvard um, and uh, ended up working in student affairs at MIT, at Cal Poly San Luis Obispo. Uh, and at Cal Poly, actually, interesting enough, I got to know a couple of people who are still in my life. So Dr. Juan Gonzalez, uh, was the vice president of student affairs. I worked under him. His niece lived in my building. So I knew Dr. Gonzalez, who's my faculty colleague, uh, literally from the first day I started in my role at Cal Poly. Also, Sancia Reagan's Lily uh, was was a uh, a staff member at Cal Poly. And I got to know her early today. So, you know, everybody talks about Mama Dean, Lily. I, I've known Sancia for over 20 years. And wow. again, when I was just starting out. So that was a really interesting space to be in. I worked at Emory University for a little bit, went back to Harvard for the doctorate. And about, I guess, the last year or so of my studies, Dr. Greg Vincent, who is the Vice President of Diversity and Community Engagement, uh, we had crossed paths with our fraternity. And um, he told me when, he, when I came to town to come visit him, and I did, and he had like five minutes with me. I got back to Boston and I had this voicemail from him and he's like, uh, brother Reddick, we need to figure out how to get you back to UT. And that was the first time somebody had actually explicitly said, you need to be back at the university of Texas. And I had never thought about, you know, I, I dreamed about it, I guess, but I'd never thought about, wow, to go back to UT as a professor. And so long story short, that's what happened. So I've been here since 2007. I was made an associate professor in 2014 and became a full professor uh, earlier this year and associate dean last year. So uh, this really is sort of the full circle for me. And, you know, for a kid who was on scholastic probation, who definitely didn't know if he would belong at UT at one point in time, um, it is uh, one heck of a journey. So my kids, Sam, have grown up in the shadow of the University of Texas. They've been on campus since they were months old. <laughs> I didn't come here until I was 17 years old, and I lived in the city. So I always think about that sort of, uh, that difference about, having uh, experience where college is just so normal to you. And my experiences, which is like literally since the age of 18, every day is a new adventure. Uh, I, I'm often telling my parents about what's happening here and having the experience of my parents coming to visit my class, which was crazy. And why is my dad asking questions in class? I'm like, no. <laughs> 
you're not here to ask questions. <laughs> um, but that was really a cool thing. So I, I, I think University of Texas for me is provide those opportunities and I, I'm really appreciative. And I, you know, I walk past buildings all the time and think about, man, I had a tough class in that building, but I work here now. So yeah, that's, that's kind of how I roll, man. And it's, it's been a, it's been a fun journey. I, I I'm constantly in the space of uh, reflection and advancement, right? Cause I'm thinking about what I'm doing next, but it's, it's, it's really cool. I, I feel like I have a very uh, unique and uh, celebratory uh, experience here. <laughs> That 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 is a really really inspiring story, and I think um, you know it's especially inspiring for me. Uh, and I'm if if my listeners heard the first episode, I kind of alluded to this that I'm a first generation student, and yeah. I obviously didn't have those resources. I grew up in a very you know poor neighborhood. My parents didn't go to college. You know they didn't even get right. to high school, so right. they, don't, they didn't know what it was like to do standardized tests. They didn't know what it was. Right. Like out of college so I, I couldn't really even lean on them to ask right. them what to do um, but it just goes to show you that it is 100% possible regardless of you know all of the different adversities and obstacles that there are um, and you know hopefully that's inspired other students to kind of follow in those footsteps and to really reach for the stars and, and I mean to, to me it sounds a lot like you were very passionate about education from the start or, or I mean like at least in high school you realize that right Right. You know, and, you know, something you said I thought about was, um, and all the time I talk to students, I talk about uh, the work of Terry Oso, a researcher at University of California, Riverside, and she has a concept called community cultural wealth. Yeah. And that is, we often think about, you know, first-gen students, low-income students, students of color as deficits, right? They're missing something. They don't have this. What Yoso says is that there are actually seven forms of capital that you bring, you know, aspirational capital, the Ghanas, right? The dreams, like, you know, you, you are here because people like, we don't know what college is, but you're going, you know, <laughs> we, don't, we don't know what it's going to be like, but you're the smart person we know, we love you, we got your back no matter what. Mm-hmm. Familial capital, just the people, the networks, the tios, the tias, the aunties, uncles, the other mothers you have, everybody who's in your community who's like, yo, I got, I got you. I remember literally going down the hallway when I was a senior in high school, and people say, Rich, you got a scholarship to UT, man. We're so proud of you. I'm like, do I know you? <laughs> you know, like, <laughs> like people I barely knew were just like, yo, you, you got the neighborhood. We got your back, man. Um, you know, go do that thing, you know? And it was such an amazing thing. And I, like I say, you know, I didn't really know what a first-generation college student was until I showed up on campus. And it's like, you're first generation. And I'm like, is that bad? And um, I've always framed it as a positive thing. So, for instance, I love the fact that I had to show my parents my grades, you know? Mm-hmm. I'm like, look, how are you doing in school? I'm doing all right. What's your report card? Oh, you know, we don't do that in college. You know, <laughs> maybe I stretch the uh, truth a little bit in some areas. But um, really, I mean, to me, Terry also really talks about this idea of framing our experience as positive. So those of our students who are bilingual or, or trilingual, like how much time you spend navigating spaces or translating for your parents, those are skills applicable to the college environment bureaucracy, those kinds of things like that, you know? So all those pieces to me really point to the fact that, you know, we're, we are blessed and favored, right? We are the people who get to do this work. And there's, for, for every one of us, there's 25 people back home rooting us on, right? And, and it's funny because, like I said, Sam, some of the people were like kind of hating on us when we were in school. Absolutely. You know, I got the nerve blast. I got called, you know, that and the other. But, you know, graduation day, man, people rolled up and saw that, man, Rich, do that, man. I had the benefit of having a really good friend of mine who worked at UT. He was actually on the custodial crew. He's in the ground crew. 
And, and my whole thought was like, look, everybody I know practically, they turn 18. And, you know, this is Austin in the 1980s, 1990s. You get a job working at Motorola or, or Semitech, and you make decent money. You buy a car. You get a house. I'm in college. <laughs> I ain't got nothing. And I was really kind of feeling some kind of way about that. I was like, I don't know if this is the thing. And um, my homeboy Howard was like, man, Rich, you're doing something that, you know, I wish I could do. You know, I'm just so excited you're doing this, man. And I was just like, I don't know what I'm doing, to be honest with you. <laughs> I'm like, I'm going to class. I don't know. It, it seems like four years from now I'm going to finish, but I can't even imagine that. So those kinds of daily reminders. And I think the most important thing for me was going back to high school as a college freshman. And going back for, you know, college day and, you know, breaking it down about what it's like at UT. And, you know, I'm literally four miles from my high school, right? Johnston High School is four miles from UT. Uh-huh. And people are like, yo, Rich, man, you, you just, man, you're just doing it, man. What is it like? You know, are you going to parties? And I'm like, <laughs> um, yeah, probably too many of them. But I, yeah, I am doing that. <laughs> um, but, you know, it was just really empowering for me to talk about that experience and to still have my support group. So I had a teacher... David Meishen, who uh, was such a kind man. He had two sons who were uh, probably about, you know, 10 and eight. He says, I know you're at UT and you're doing this thing. Well, why don't you take a job babysitting my sons? Now, truth be told, I don't know if his sons needed babysitting that much, as much as he realized that as a first-generation low-income student, I might need some supplemental cash. So I got paid well to babysit Carl and, uh, and Jack, uh, these two young men who are grown-ass men now. And, and uh, you know, um, it was like the funnest job I had. I, I got a chance to kind of escape the UT experience a little bit, uh, to hang out with some younger folks and make a little bit of money. And so I think about uh, David all the time, and, you know, he's retired now, living in Santa Fe. And I'm just like, you know, I, I just feel, again, just so lucky and fortunate to have all of these support systems. And, and I think for first-gen students, um, to, re, to reframe it, right? Yes, there's some things you don't know about college. Guess what? There's a lot of things about college that people don't know. Even though their mama and daddy and granddaddy went to UT, they might not know these things either. So that's the first part. There's always like a hidden curriculum piece for all of us. And the second part is um, there's nothing like having the faith of a community behind you. Um, when I would see, I remember one time I went to, uh, to visit some relatives uh, on the East Coast and somebody had said, you know, Richard, he's getting ready to graduate. And I was like, I'm not getting ready to graduate. They're like, no, no, we're going to claim this. It's going to happen. You know, <laughs> it's happening. You know, just go ahead and just roll with that because this is going to happen. I'm like, okay. You know, and that might be the first time I thought about, well, yeah, I will be done at some point in time. I will not be a student forever. <laughs> so, yeah, I, I actually think um, that's the important piece is to really make sure that, yes, there are going to be some challenges and things you don't uh, understand you have to navigate. But I think about the resources we have at UT to support you, the faculty, the staff we have, uh, the programs we have in place to support students. So, you know, all it takes is you having the ganas, right? You just have to have that dream. Uh-huh. And if you realize that, you'll be able to find, and part of it's a little bit of navigation. You know, um, I always say you have to be able to sort of speak out and say, I need this and ask somebody because, you know, University of Texas has every resource you can imagine, but you might have to go knock on a few doors to figure out what it is. And we're trying to get better at that. Uh-huh. But if you're willing to do that, and, and what I've, I was in a meeting today this morning with um, two alums of UT, and we were both talking about 
sort of how a lot of times people call, talk, call college, you know, when you go to college, then you go in the real world. Well, guess what? UT is the real world. Absolutely. Right? The lessons you're learning are not lessons that you're going to say, well, 10 years from now, like, no, you can directly apply that. So people like to talk about, oh, well, Dr. Reddick, you have the Harvard degrees. I'm like, I wouldn't have been at Harvard if it hadn't been for UT. Mm-hmm. UT got me ready for Harvard. And if you go to UT or MIT or Stanford or these, any big name uh, graduate spaces, you find tons of UT people there. Mm-hmm. And there's something about this space that gives you, A, that rigorous academic preparation you need, and B, helps you navigate spaces. So, of course, when I left UT to go to Harvard, Harvard's smaller than UT. So I'm like, I, I can do this. This is, you know, seminar classes. Oh, yeah, I can do this. I did this in plan two honors. So um, a, a lot of confidence comes from that experience. And you don't really know it until you leave the space um, because you just think it's normal. You just, you just come from the environment. Well, that's the way it's always been. And, and shout out to those students who are transferring in because you're having that experience in real time. Yeah. You're your community college or another university. And then you're like, wow, this is it. But I can assure you when you finish, you'll be looking back at the experiences you had in student government, in Greek life and student orgs and say, you know, I can apply it directly to what I'm doing today. So I think um, our university doesn't, um, it doesn't hold back. You know, you get to see everything, the highs and the lows. And I think uh, I wouldn't have traded that experience for anything. Awesome. Really, really inspiring words and a, a nice little touch on uh, UT just being how awesome it is um, to receive your endorsement, especially since you went to Harvard um, and you're still like, well, UT was still pretty freaking awesome. I wouldn't have gotten well, there without you UT. Know, the um, Texas of the Northeast, we call it. Yeah. yeah. Well, listen, so we're going to go to a quick break right now um, and then we will be right back with um, some interesting questions. So stick around. We'll be right back. And we are back. Hopefully you have stuck around and haven't um, clicked off of this yet because we are about to get into some really interesting topics today. Um, so a little birdie, Dr. Reddick, told me that uh, you're really into music. You, what, what kind of music do you listen to? What are you into? Oh, wow. So you, you, you busted out with the uh, old, uh, let's get rich to play something. Uh, so <laughs> this is actually interesting. I learned this. This is something at UT. So I was an RA at UT and you know RAs are in the building quite a bit. Mm-hmm. resident advisors working with students and there was a time when everybody was so mid 90s dave matthews band who the blowfish got big and people <laughs> got the tech of mine guitars and started playing and i'm like well you know that's six strings a bass has four strings let me try that style um and so i went and bought a bass guitar at uh at uh south austin music uh back in the day and I brought it back and plugged it into a keyboard amp and started playing. And I've been playing ever since. So um, the thing about playing a bass guitar is that typically you need to play with other people. Right. Um, and so I, I just jammed when I was in college, really. It didn't really, wasn't really part of anything solid. Because, you know, another thing, of course, you buy electric bass, you have to have an amp. And I didn't have money for an amp, so, you know, didn't do much. But um, finally, um, when I was in graduate school, I, I got together with one of my homeboys there, uh, guy named Max and Max is from New Mexico and he's a cool music guy. And so we started jamming and my boy Antonio. So me and Antonio and Max would play. We used to be called ethnic wizard. That was our band name. And we just played in the, you know, in Boston, had a good old time up there. 
But of course, we all finished school. We graduated. And as fate would have it, Max moves to Austin. Of course, two years later, I graduate and move to Austin. And Max like, yo, Rich, let's go jam. I was like, dude, I'm trying to get tenure, man. That's old. I can't do that, you know? And so I was like, nah, nah, you know, we might have jammed maybe once or twice. And so finally, like after tenure, I say to myself, well, you know, I've got some time. I'm having this like midlife crisis, right? And I told my wife, midlife crisis can be kind of whack, right? I can get a fancy car, do something terrible with a family situation. But what I'm going to do is start a band. And so Max was playing with my homeboy, Victor. And he's like, y'all need to, you need to play with us. So we've been jamming. We're, we're called Deep State. And we uh, jam on occasion. Sadly, our practice space is no longer uh, open. So we had to jam at Max's house. We're looking for a practice space. We play parties. You know, uh, my grad students, though, we come through um, to, the, uh, to the parties. And yes, my grad students are like, Dr. Ritter, you play music? I'm like, yeah, I'm from Austin. <laughs> is that a thing we all do? Don't we all play music? And I don't want to overstate, you know, the quality of the music. I mean, uh, Victor and Max are master musicians. I just kind of plot along, but I, I have a good time. It's a great stress reliever. Um, and the one thing I would say to people is like, when you go to college, whether it's music or it's athletics or exercise or yoga, make sure you find a way to manage your stress. Because honestly, when I go out and, and jam, you know, we also, we all three played, you know, I played drums as well. I played guitar a little bit as well. So nothing like going and hitting on some drums when you just like are just feeling Absolutely. frustrated, just getting it out. So I, I love doing it, man. And um, the biggest challenge, I think, is just finding time. But I'm, I'm really glad I had that experience at UT. And of course, you know, going to UT in the 1990s when we had sound exchange on the drag and used to go get CDs. It was just and it still is that way. You know, music is all around us. So whatever your jam is, literally what your jam is, uh, you can pursue it here. And if it's rock climbing or hiking, do that. But I, I think you know, don't think about college as being simply you just grinding and, and being in class and reading. That's a big part of it. But another big part of it is taking care of your stress, finding ways to unwind. Uh, so I, I advocate really strongly that people, if you, and most people probably already do have something they do, but if you don't pick up something new, like I never touched the bass guitar before. Yes. Great. And you know what? I, I can't endorse that enough. Retweet to the max, um, do something, um, to relieve stress. Whenever I was in college, um, I was a dancer. So I did, uh, ballet folklorico, Mexican folkloric dance. Um, I received a scholarship for that. And that is what I was looking forward to at the end of the week all the time. Every time I still do it to this day, obviously it's kind of hard with COVID, but, um, you know, it, it was really, really great. I enjoyed doing it. So I, I cannot stress that enough. That is really, really great advice. And also, y'all book Deep State. Y'all heard. Um, make sure uh, <laughs> you hit them up. <laughs> Cheap rates. Um, so what 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 artists inspire you? What, what's in your top five artists? What, what What's on your playlist on your way to work? Wow. So tomorrow, we're actually doing a, um, with Moody Honors College, we're doing a, uh, uh, I guess, a webinar about uh, Public Enemy, Favorite Black Planet. You know, so I, I'm this weird mishmash. So remember, I grew up in England in the 1980s. So British New Wave, which many of people who are a little older in this podcast might know, the Duran Durans, the Smiths, the Cure. Those are bands I listened to because they were just like local things that were happening in my space. When I came here, it was like a cachet. People were like, oh, my God, do you know who those bands are? I'm like, yeah, of course, you know. Um, so that's a big part of me. So I would say my all-time top five. Uh, there is a black rock band called Living Color. Uh, they're still around. They had a song called Cult of Personality in the late 80s. 
And bruh, for the it was like I saw these black dudes with locks with guitars banging their heads. I'm like, that is me. So I've been a huge Living Color fan all my life. Uh, I would say uh, The Clash, which is classic sort of punk, ska, rockabilly. They kind of do everything. Um, you know, um, being a West Indian person, I got to call it Bob Marley and the Whalers. You know, uh, that's that's probably music I grew up listening to. Uh, you know, coming from a family of Jamaican expatriates, you know, um, Bob Marley is a touchstone for all of us, right? So we, we love Bob Marley. Uh, the Police. Um, Y'all know Sting, you know, Sting was in a band called The Police back in the day. And three-piece band, like I play the three-piece band, he plays bass, I play bass. Uh, the Police are known for sort of the sparseness of the arrangements. Like they don't, they're not busy. Like a lot of musicians feel they have to play constantly. And the thing about the police as a band is that they utilize space really well. So I've always been a fan of theirs. Um, on the hip hop side, I would say, you mentioned Public Enemy, uh, Gangstar, uh, which is, people might know DJ Premier, uh, who's become a big DJ. Uh, Guru, the MC, passed away, uh, rest in peace. But I mean, that was like this, the playlist for my like undergrad day. Like I actually scheduled classes around two things, Rap City on BET and Yo MT Raps on MTV. And I was like, I cannot have classes on Wednesday at three o'clock. That's when it's on. Go home. You know, this is before, I mean, I think I had a VCR back then, but I don't know if I had one, but you know, gotta be home to watch the dopest raps that they come out, you know, and we talk about the raps and we go get the CDs across the street at Sound Exchange. So it was really cool. It was a really exciting time. Um, so, you know, for me, um, there's also a band I like called Level 42, which is a uh, British band that was part of what we call the uh, Brit Funk uh, era. And people don't know this band because they were big in the UK and big in Europe and not so big in the USA. But there's a song called Something About You that people may have heard. Because there's something about you, baby. So right. Isn't that great? Y'all want to sign me for anyway? Yeah, I'm that, <laughs> Right, that band is one of my favorite bands of all time. People are like, "Who's Level 42?" So I, have to, I actually have a very good friend, Skylar Walk. Shout out to her. She's the associate dean for equity and and, and diversity in pharmacy. And I said, "Level 42 said something about you." I'm like, "Yo, we click for life." If you know Level 42, we we tight. So anyway, yeah, <laughs> lots of lots of influences. Uh, just like to play, man. I mean, it's it's you know part of the reason is like I've mentioned a lot of very virtual virtuosic uh bands uh but the clash you know they started off kind of rough you know yeah. two chords you know and they became quite you know musically proficient so i kind of see that as my way too like it's about having fun it's about blowing off steam um every so often i do something impressive but the most part i'm just trying to keep the beat going right for sure yeah i'm gonna have to look some of these up because my millennial is showing right now um yeah and i was good. just like yeah <laughs> i was like yes i know them yes <laughs> <laughs> absolutely well That's okay great. so we're gonna we're gonna switch it up and i've got another um i've got another set of questions here for you and i think you'll really enjoy this so um and you may end up regretting what you put on your bio but i, I was reading your bio and you you put that you are a Jeopardy and Wheel of Fortune champ. And I was notified today that that is absolutely the truth. Is that, did you? Yeah, did you I, I, I was gonna put that there just like a like, yo, you find it. No, so shout out first of all, uh, rest in peace, Alex Trebek, wonderful rest person. Um, but uh, yeah, so this is another UT story. Um, so I was on campus and I've always sort of had this sort of, I could do that, I could be on a game show. 
And I used to be a big Wheel of Fortune and Jeopardy watcher when I was in high school, especially. And I actually tried out for uh, Jeopardy, I think, when I was in high school. But like, this is like a straight up grown ass man Jeopardy, not like uh, <laughs> Teen Jeopardy. And just got destroyed. I like. I walked out and feeling like humiliated. I'm like, I don't know anything. <laughs> I might have been able to answer one question. Like, you know, when you had that first round, like, you can go now. I went. Um, so, <laughs> I was like, yeah, that's not really my thing. Maybe it's easier to talk about it at home than it is to actually be on it. And so, when I was a junior, I think it was a junior at, at UT, there was an ad in the Texan, the Daily Texan, and it says, "Trout's for Will of Fortune." And I'm like, oh, it's so cool. The union's through the Wheel of Fortune game, you know? And I'm like, well, I could do it at a union. That's not a problem. So I go to the union and I'm like, why is this line so long? <laughs> this line's going to the back of the union. What's going on here? And I, I was in line and people were saying, well, you know, this, that, that, Vanna White, blah, blah, blah. I'm like, oh, the real Wheel of Fortune? I'm like, oh, wow. And, and so I realized that you were just going there to get a ticket to try out, not even the tryouts. So I got a ticket to try out. At the time, I was an intern uh, for Representative Ron Wilson. Ron was a representative in Houston, Sunnyside. And um, the thing about Ron is that at the time, the office was full of people who had been on TV. So Ron Wilson was always on TV because he's a legislator. Uh, Merle was in an AT&T commercial. My man Eric was in RoboCop 2. He had a small role in that movie. And I'm like, oh, Rich, you know, you just be part of the clique now. You can be on Wheel of Fortune. I'm like, easier said than done. So I go to the Irwin Center to try out and it's like full of people and you do like a fill in the blank kind of puzzle past that. It wasn't that hard to do. And then we started just trying this out in small groups. And this was probably, I would say, Sam, about two o'clock in the afternoon. And I actually had a class that that afternoon, like at four. So it's two o'clock, it's three o'clock, it's four o'clock. Guess I'm missing class, you know? <laughs> so I'm just kind of sitting here doing this Wheel of Fortune thing. And I'm actually getting to a point where I'm saying to myself, okay, I'm kind of getting tired of this. Like, I don't know what they're looking for. Like, they would ask us, okay, well, you know, why should you be a Wheel of Fortune? And I said, okay, I'll tell you why. I'm an orientation advisor. So I said, every summer I greet all the incoming freshmen to UT and the transfer students. And so I know a lot of people that way. I'm an RA as well. You know, I have this imprints i have this outreach that people know me that people know who i am mm -hmm. they're like okay thanks and they'd go on to somebody else and i wasn't sure if that was good or not so this complete poker face thing was going on and then so finally um the very end there's like 12 of us left and i'm actually getting to the point i'm getting kind of exhausted it's like 6 p.m and they're like okay we have some good news and we have some better news the good news is we are so impressed with all of you we cannot decide we're going to make you all go on wheel of fortune and so at that point in time, my homeboy, Willie Wilkoff, was there. And Willie was, I was like, oh, yeah, Willie, we're going to Wheel of Fortune, you know, high five, you know. And another friend of mine, Jim Bob, Jim Bob Howard, seriously, his name is Jim Bob. Um, <laughs> uh, he and I worked in Dina's student's office. I looked at him. I was like, this is going to be cool. And they said, here's our team. And they call out Jim Bob. Of course, his name is Jim Bob. He's going to be on the show. He's from Texas. And they say, Rich Reddick. And I'm like, me? You know, so that was wild. So we're like, we're going to be on Wheel of Fortune. So, of course, they tell you, okay. Here's the Wheel of Fortune board game. Go practice. And it's college week. So you're playing for yourself and your university. Um, and so we go to Boston to the Wang Auditorium and film it up there, which is this beautiful uh, Bow Arts uh, theater. And it's gorgeous. And it's in Boston. And we have Boston uh, University. We have LSU. We have Indiana and UT competing. So Boston University, of course, has the home crowd advantage. 
people are like, yo, Boston, Boston, Boston. And so the first game goes on. The guy from Illinois goes up, goes up, the Indiana goes up there and he wins the Camaro. And we're just like, wow, that's dope. And the entire time, I'll never forget this, the contestant coordinator, her name was Buffy and she went to Baylor and Buffy came to us and said, look, you see what he just did? He won a Camaro. He didn't do anything. When y'all go up there, y'all better go crazy when you win something. I'm like, <laughs> so um, the next day it was Jim Bob's turn. He went on and, you know, he had a rough day. So I don't think he won. And so the third day we're basically in last place. And so um, I get to go on. Um, I'm nervous, uh, but I'm, you know, I'm feeling it. And so we're up there doing our thing and I'm spinning the wheel. I'm like, S. And all of a sudden, Vanna walks towards a letter and like kind of stops and turns around and F. I'm like, yo, I didn't ask for an F. And they're like, okay, okay, stop, stop, you know. And they pull us backstage. And they said, okay, look, there's a mistake made. This never happens. Yeah, right. Um, and what we're going to do is give you all $2,000. Just keep, you know, quiet about this. And I was like, look, my biggest goal was to come on the show, not make a fool of myself, and win like $1,000 to fix my hoopty. So I was I'm done. I'm like, this is great. So we go back out there. And when I come back out there, all of a sudden people are doing the hook'em horns. I'm like, what the heck? And, and they're doing like, you know, devil horns. They're doing, they're doing this. They're all confused. And I was like, what happened? And apparently what happened, my mom was there. She said, when I went backstage, I was winning that puzzle. And people brought out the, uh, his name was Charlie. He was the contestant. I mean, he was the crowd guy the announcer, and they were like, what? That guy up there was winning some money. Does he get that money he won? They're like, no, we're starting again. They're like, oh, no, that's not right. So all of a sudden, this crowd flipped to Texas. So I go up there, and so the next puzzle we have is author title. So that means it's something by somebody. So I spin the wheel with all my might, and it lands on the $3,500 space. Oh, my goodness. And my mental capacity just goes out the window. And I ask for a T, not a B or a Y. I'm like, oh, God. They're like, okay, well, there are six T's, $21,000 on one spin. <laughs> so I'm just like, I don't know what this is. I bought every vowel there was, and it started emerging, started emerging. And I'm like, I know what it is. I know what it is. Spin a couple more times. You know, uh, Richard, you ready to solve the puzzle? I also got the, uh, the surprise. And I said, the scarlet letter by Nathaniel Hawthorne. Boom, $34,000 right there in the spot. Um, the surprise was a trip to England, the place where I had lived, literally to my old neighborhood in England. So, um, and also we moved ahead in the rankings. So when we got off the stage, man, people were going crazy. People were like, Texas! And you know, the hook and horn thing was going on. It was, it was crazy. So we win the college week. We go up there for the final game, and of course we crush it, we win. So we're all there on the stage for the final puzzle. Five letter words, we ask for the letters. It's, I think, T-A-blank-O-S. We're like, tacos, $50,000, one for UT's um, general scholarship um, endowment. So when I see students who get a you know, scholarship to UT, I say, you know, there's probably like a penny out of that, that comes from the Wheel of Fortune money we made. So you're welcome. So yeah, that's how it started. And, and once that happened, Sam, it meant that every time I had an opportunity to try out for a game show, 
I could always say, well, I've been on Jeopardy. Like, oh, okay. And what that means, I think, for a contestant coordinator is that they know that you are camera ready. They know that you're going to be interesting. They know you're not going to freeze on stage. And that gives you, so by the time I got to Jeopardy, I had been on Wheel of Fortune and I'd been on Win Ben Stein's Money. So Jeopardy was number three. Um, I went on Jeopardy and I was in LA doing it. And this is a funny story. I'm telling you a long story here, but I'll tell you the story. So I'm standing in line at, you know, Sony Picture Studios in Culver City yeah. with my bag of clothes. And somebody says, hey, Rich. I turn around and it's my homeboy, Jimmy, Jimmy Ogden. Jimmy Ogden and I were homeboys in, in college. He was in Texas Blazers with me. And people were like, whoa, 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 whoa. These guys know each other. And they pull us out of line and say, okay, how do you know each other? We said, we were know each other in college. When was the last time we talked to him? I said, 10 years ago. Okay. And they moved us apart from each other. Um, so we were not allowed to be around each other. But I actually won on Will of Fortune that day with food poisoning. Thank you very much, In-N-Out Burger. Uh, <laughs> and came back uh, another day as a one-day champion on Will of Fortune. I mean, on, on Jeopardy. And then my last game show I did that was sort of a big deal was uh, Who Wants to Be a Millionaire? Mm-hmm. I was in grad school. I did that. So I got to $50,000 on that. That was a down payment for the house. Came here as a broke graduate student of the new brand new job. I was like, the one money piece of money I do have is this money I got from uh, who wants to be a millionaire. So thank you, Meredith Vieira. And so um, the house I'm in right now, down payment came from that. So yeah, that's 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 my story. And um, I'm, a, I'm available for other future game shows, game show talent scouts. I don't know why they don't call me for these like, you know, tournament of champions because I've been on five game shows and I won on each one of them. Call me. Oh my goodness. That is so incredible. That is so amazing, honestly. And it started um, here. It started at UT. That's yeah. the important thing. Right. You hear that, folks? You have a chance of being on TV. Just come to UT. Well, <laughs> before before we take it to a break, I wanted to test your knowledge. So I do have oh, some Jeopardy snap. questions written down here. <laughs> um, I probably can't play the music because of copyright, but or I don't know how the licensing <laughs> works for that. But um, I searched and I found an article that said some of the Jeopardy's hardest questions, and I'm like, all right, oh, you know wow. what? If he, if he's a champion, then he should be ready for these. And honestly, oh, wow. I don't I don't think they're that hard, but according to okay. The so that's a flex okay let's go ahead and hit you with the first one um it is category let's have a ball sink it and you've scratched um day ball so it's actually what is the cue ball oh okay well Uh, all right have credit (laughs) but yeah you know what i thought that too whenever i read that i was like the eight ball and then the answer was cue ball and i was like you're right right that's exactly right yes sorry my bad (laughs) All right, so question two. The category is at the movies. This Star Wars, and I I knew this one. I was just like, ooh, yes. This Star Wars movie, episode three, leads up to where the original movie began. Okay, so episode three would be... See, this is a weird thing. I'm not really... uh, I'm the original canon. I'm I'm Star Wars, you know, uh, Empire Strikes Back, Return of the Jedi. So I know that episode four, A New Hope, is Star Wars. So episode three would be the third prequel, which would be, man, I don't know. This is a millennial thing. I, I mean, this is a, <laughs> it a is honestly, thing. cause I grew up with the prequels. So this is why it was right. easy for me. And this is my favorite star Wars movie. I'm not going to It's more of Canon. I know that. Yeah. It's uh, what is revenge of the Sith? Yes. That one. That's All right. Meant. Question three. <laughs> I'm not Cat- doing well. 
<laughs> no, you're good. Okay, question three category is Alexander Graham Bell. He gets his own category. That's how great okay. he is. So Bell co-invented what's said to be the first of these devices, testing it on Civil War vets with bullets still in their bodies. Uh, what is an MRI? If, if, what is a metal detector? Okay. And I didn't... So I, I can riff on this because somebody who studies higher education, Alexander Graham Bell is a very important character in deaf education. Uh, so he had very important roles to play in deaf education. So um, I was reading his books in grad school and he kept on popping up. I'm like, the phone guy? And they're like, yeah, he was very involved. And so anyway, interesting guy. Yes, he was Scottish. I know that as well. So if I would have asked one of those other ones, you would have been like, oh, yeah. Yeah, I would have got that. I was like, it's about deaf education. Like, no, okay. So, yeah, I'm 0 for 3, but, you know, I got the check. So it's, it's all good. But I, I appreciate the, uh, the, the challenge and the bruising of my ego. It's all good, Sam. <laughs> no, I've got one more for you. And hopefully uh, you'll probably get this one, I'm sure. Uh, category is favorite suffix. So I-C-S, suffix. Within linguistics, this X is the study of meaning. Um, and you said it, it ends in what? I-X? I-C-S, X. Oh, study of language, you said. Within, linguistic, lingui within linguistics, this X is the study of meaning. Huh. Is it hermeneutics? It is what is semantics. <laughs> Oh, man. See, yeah. Okay. So clearly I shouldn't go on any of these uh, talent shows. No. That stuff. That's why I can't go on those shows because of what just happened right there. Y'all, y'all still have to get Dr. Reddick on. This was a, I, I clearly, I thought you were going to sweep me on these questions. Man, you should have brought me those easy questions. <laughs> well, all right. Well, we're going to go to a quick break and we will be right back. So stick around. As you know, I will be asking you 10 questions. You have six students in your dorm are watching you right now. Are you ready? I'm ready. Then let us begin. In what F. Scott Fitzgerald novel do the characters live in East Egg and West Egg? Great Gatsby. Yes. Which 20th century U.S. president was elected with the greatest percentage of the popular vote? Uh, Roosevelt. No. The first portion of the Appian Way connected Capua to what ancient city? Rome. Yes. What type of food is the Swiss And we are back. So we have time for one more question um, from the amazing Dr. Richard Reddick. Um, so earlier, you did mention that you were a Texas X. Um, you graduated with a BA in plan two. Um, if you could kind of just summarize like your experience, and I know we kind of like, you know, alluded to it a little bit earlier, but if you could tell us about your, your experience um, at UT Austin and, and additionally, what advice would you give um, students like yourself, students like me, first gen, students of color, um, who will soon be transitioning to college? Like what, what, what can they do to succeed and to ease those nerves from making such a big transition from high school to now? When you just think about the state of Texas, one of the largest states in the union, mm -hmm. uh, population-wise, one of the most densely populated states in the union, um, and you bring in students from across that state, uh -huh. you are literally getting truly the best and the brightest. And an example I'll give you is people I knew in college. So 
I was telling you about the people I, who came to watch me do uh, Will of Fortune. Uh, I mean, sorry, um, Jeopardy. So my friend Marcus, Marcus is an artistic director for that agency. He's one of the few African-American uh, people in that role in the advertising world. Uh-huh. He's my roommate, my, my best friend, you know? Um, my buddy Rich came to watch me, Rich Orozco. Rich Orozco works with LAFC. He was, I don't know what he does with LAFC, but he's a big time Hollywood guy. And he was involved in that from the very beginning. He lives in the Hollywood Hills, um, Laurel Canyon. I'm like, yo, dude, um, your house is off the chain. His wife was, uh, is famous because she was uh, the female lead in the Dexter series. So Julie, you know, so, yeah. you know, got to go see her in movies and stuff like that. My other homeboy, Carl. So those of you who are millennials and Gen Xers might know a show called Chowder. Well, Carl created Chowder. And in fact, he used to do a Texan cartoon. And the Texan cartoon was called The Glum Club. And one week, everybody asked to, put him, to be put in the strip. And he put them all in the strip. And bad things happened to everybody in the strip. Except for me. I come in on Friday and he's like, Daddy Rich, what are you doing here? I'm in high school, I'm in college, Daddy Rich. And I was like, yo, you know, this is your strip. You get to do what you want. And so I got him out of there. And my tagline is like, hey, do you have a stick of gum? Stick of gum was the, the final um, puzzle I had on Little Fortune, which I did not get. So I heard that joke a lot of times. So yeah, he ended up being like literally like a cultural touchstone. These are my classmates. These are my homeboys I went to school with. I mean, um, so it'll be you and your classmates doing these amazing, incredible things. Uh, Robert Rodriguez, you know, you all know him from El Mariachi and Spy Kids movies. I used to hang out with that dude in the West Mall. I used to just hang out I was a freshman and he was a senior working for the Texan. I used to love his cartoons. I was like, yo, you make the coolest cartoons. Like, yeah, thanks. But, you know, you literally have time and opportunities to get to know people who do those kinds of things. And, of course, I, mean, I can go down a list of so many people I have known who ended up doing amazing things. Uh, Mavis Newsom Ball, my, my, my good friend Mavis. I was watching the debates recently and, you know, uh, our now uh, President-elect Biden was answering questions. There's a question up there. I'm like, yo, that's Mavis. You know, I'm like, <laughs> I know her. We were always together, always together. So, you know, it's, it's just amazing what the stretch and the impact the University of Texas is. Um, your classmates and you will do amazing things. So you'll remember to say, I know that person back in college. I remember when they were a first year, we used to study together. That kind of thing is really, um, I think, phenomenal and exciting about this place. Um, and, you know, luckily, if you're lucky, you will have a couple of athletic championships to celebrate. Maybe it's going to be in swimming or in volleyball. Right now, volleyball is killing it. So props to the volleyball mm-hmm. team. So, you know, it's just an exciting environment to be in. And the thing I think people often think about UT is like, it's so big. Here's the thing that's really funny about that. You don't ever see all 50,000 people at once unless it's like noon on a Monday on Speedway. They're all there. But <laughs> Aside from that, you don't really see everybody in some place. So you get to know communities, uh, whether it's student government, whether it's uh, Greek life. You, you find your community in your niche. And um, it feels very comfortable. And, and I would have never thought that a school of this size would feel cozy. And it's sometimes a little too small, right? But that's certainly how it is. So I would say don't be afraid of the size because what the size actually means is that there's opportunities here. Mm-hmm. Anything you want to do. So there's sometimes when you go to a university and you're like, you know, I want to change my major or I want to do something else. I want to get involved. You have to change schools. You don't have to change schools here. 
you can just change your major. Um, you know, and, and honestly, I, I think that's the thing that's most exciting to me is that there are so many opportunities at UT Austin, in the city of Austin, um, the alumni network, which nobody tells you about. I mean, you don't go to college for the alums, unless you're a Macomb student, you're thinking about it. But most <laughs> of us are like, I'm going to college, I'm just going to knock out my four years, get a job. But you'll be surprised about how that network comes into play. Um, I have a great story, which is a long story. I'll make it short. But long story short, a couple of years ago, I met a, a, a fellow alum who was a Silver Spur. The guy takes care of Bevo. I was one of those two. And um, he mentioned that he spent time on you know, the Cape, Cape, Cape Cod. And I said, well, I do work at Harvard in the summer. He's like, well, next time you're there, give me a shout. I'm like, okay. I don't, I don't usually do this, but I did. And so shout out to my friend, Todd Macklin. I said, Todd, I'm in town. You know, he's like, well, let's come meet. I tell you what, meet me in Falmouth, which is one of the towns on the mainland. Um, and so he described his boat to me. I don't, I don't know anything about boats. I mean, I'm, I'm from Austin. We don't, we have water here, but I don't go on it. And so um, I was like, well, he's got a blue boat. I know it's that, but I saw this ocean liner coming towards us. And I was like, it's a blue boat. It's not an ocean liner. It gets closer and closer. And there's like a Texas flag on top of it. I'm like, that's your boat. <laughs> and so anyway, that's, that's, and Todd took me to the uh, Martha's Vineyard and we hung out at the places where David Letterman used to have uh, lunch and Skip Gates hangs out. So just, you know, who does that? You know, and it's just because we had this connection from being uh, Texas exes uh, and my kids got to have this really cool experience of going to visit Martha's Vineyard and seeing all these really cool sites, the Inkwell where African-American uh, communities go for the holidays. That all happened. And I was just like, you know, that's what UT gets to do for you. You get to meet these people from all different walks of life and different experiences and you find a connection. Maybe it's Silver Spurs, maybe it's Orange Jackets, maybe it's Texas Blazers. You have something in common. And then you go out and do something really cool together. And so Todd's a friend. and I consider him a friend now. And that was like a really cool story how we got together. Like I actually literally got a chance to go out and hang out with the very important people on Martha's Vineyard, uh, thanks to my connection to him. And um, even if you are studying something that's not business, networks matter. And a lot of times um, you won't know they matter until you run for public office. Uh, you know, you run for uh, city council or whatever, and you realize people actually care. Um, I'm part of an organization called the Friar Society, which is the oldest honor society at UT. We had a reunion. And the people who are friars, you know, Pulitzer winning authors, uh, political commentators, politicians, you know, I'm like, what a cool group of people to be affiliated with. So yeah, that's what's ahead for you. So I just say, just know opportunity awaits. And it's really going to be incumbent on you to take advantage of those opportunities. And they may come really obvious. And they may come kind of hidden and kind of subtle. You might have to work a little ways to get those things to happen. But absolutely, um, the University of Texas, in my mind, um, the people, the faculty, the staff, the students, uh, the alums, just create this amazing uh, fixture. And you're part of the community. You know, whether you were a person who was on the football field every week cheering for the Longhorns or you were in a lab studying every weekend you're a part of this community. So I always love that about the University of Texas, that, uh, that common bond we all have. So yeah, it's, it's a great place. So, you know, you need to come here. Very, very well said. And I might have to steal some of your words for my next presentation or my next elevator speech because you just, you articulate it very, very well. Um, and, and I I'm didn't so... say the phrase, I didn't <laughs> say the phrase that we always say. I didn't say it. 
It's tempting, but I won't say it. <laughs> what starts? No, I'll stop. <laughs> Man, it makes me want to go just reverse time and start applying to UT. Well, graduate listen, school. <laughs> I'm telling you, the EDD program. Keep me in mind. Keep I'm, me that's in what mind. I'm saying. Keep it moving. Keep it moving. <laughs> that's great. Well, listen, we're at the end. So at this time in this portion, I always allow my guests to plug anything that they want. Now, it can be UT related. But it does not have to be UT related if there's something that, you know, whether it be a book you're reading or a website article, um, music you're listening to. But it can also be UT related as well. It is all yours. The floor is yours, Dr. Reddick. Plug whatever you would like. Come to UT. Uh, study abroad with us. Not just me. There's other people going to, you know, shout out Dr. Moore going to South Africa and going to, to China. Uh, I've got so many colleagues going all around the world. It's so exciting. Study abroad. Uh, work with faculty. Work with staff. Do something that stretches you beyond your usual things, like a game show or whatever, and, and have a good time. And I, I think, um, you know, that this will be a memory that you get to come back to over and over again. So I, I really appreciate the opportunity just to talk about some really cool things that I had happen to me at UT and are still happening today because I still work there. And I really appreciate you for your time. Once again, uh, thank you so much for being here and taking the time to have a conversation with me and for sharing some really, really great stories. Um, I know our listeners aren't going to be able to see, but I had a dorky, cheesy smile the whole time because I was just so into it. Uh, but once again, thank you so much for tuning in, y'all. Uh, we really appreciate it. Uh, hopefully you continue with us on this journey and you uh, tune in for the next episode. I think you'll really enjoy it. That being said, I've been Sam Torres. This is Texas 512. Stay cool. Stay hydrated and hook them